0: Play an essential role in innovation, and Christine Riggitz has spent her career mentoring and advocating for women in technology. In 2007, she co founded the Business Women's Network at SAP, a grassroots initiative with more than 10,000 members across 60 chapters around the world. The network supports women in gaining new skills and pursuing successful career paths at SAP. Mm-hmm. everyone welcome back to lady empire i have such an amazing guest here with me today this is an extremely special episode for me um because this is my colleague or not even a colleague she is far superior to me um christine thank you so much for being here thanks so much for inviting me Elle. Awesome. And I just want to start off right away. So let's start with you telling us a little bit about your childhood and where you grew up.
1: Um, I was born in 1966, so pretty kind of long ago, so to say, in a mid-sized city, which is located Right at the border to France. So I was born in a region which was also in the last centuries always a um, a ball which was played between France and Germany. So the whole region is called Saarland. It's a small uh, a region in Germany, and uh, there's, you can see there a little bit of this French lifestyle, kind of. So, I recommend to go there, everybody. So, I was born there, raised there. I went to school. My father was a teacher at the grammar school. My mother was a teacher at the kindergarten. So, I came from a very intellectual family, uh, but honestly, we were living in a house with my grandparents and my grandpa. Which I really adored. He was a handcraftsman, so he was really somebody. He has his workshop and the cellar, and I was fascinated. And I, you know, joined him in the cellar when he was doing things, repairing things, working with all the tools. I wanted to know which tool is for what, and um, so he educated me uh, re- really decently in all these kind of tools he used. He uh, I wanted to get to, to know how to repair my bicycle myself. So he taught me how to do it. And um, so I grew up, in a, I would say, in a very um, s- small and very nice family. And uh, yeah, that's where I was born, so to say, or raised.
0: I love that so much. And I want to talk a little bit about your early education um and when you were sort of introduced to STEM right did you always have a passion for science and technology and engineering and math um or when
1: were you, when were you sort of introduced
0: to that subject
1: um you just have to see um the period in where i was raised you know in the 70s and 80s in germany you had um Three TV channels, um, a couple of radio stations, um, but there was no computer. The computer was just, you know, um, on the horizon, so to say. But at school, I was always good in math. And I also liked math. So... And that was also good because I was lucky because I also had good teachers because I think teachers are so important to help. And uh, so at school, I also then discovered I liked physics. I liked chemicals. So all these fields at school, um, I just liked it. it. It was easy to me. I was always curious. I wanted to understand how things work. And I think this came also from my grandpa uh, because I also I also wanted to know what he was doing, how to repair a you know a roof. He was kind of, you know, he 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 knew how to do roofs. That was interesting, you know. And he explained to me the, the, the basics in physics. Um and so At school, that was just, uh, I had good teachers. And so I, they really fostered also my interest. And in German schools, you know, you have then at high school, in the end, to choose um, uh, three minors uh, where you do your final exams, your Abitur. And I choose uh, mathematics and physics and English. So I would have loved to choose instead of English, chemicals, but that was not allowed. So you'd have to choose, you could not do only um stem areas and so I graduated uh, also in my final kind of abitur in those three areas and uh, so it was always close to my heart it, it I was I was always um curious and I was very lazy and I think mathematics or physics or chemistry that's things for lazy people because you don't have to you know really learn things um uh, but if you got it, you got it. Okay. And if you didn't get it, so I, th- I think it came to, you know, me as a person, as a pretty lazy person, that, that was really something which helped me a lot, uh, that I was also luckily um, yeah, e- easy uh, going in these fields so that I understood it also easily.
0: So I think in the US, um, we have this idea that, you know, women are supposed to be caretakers. I think that a path that's carved out for most women in the US is to be a nurse or a teacher or some sort of caretaker, right? Um, And do you think that's how you felt growing up in your culture as well? Or do you feel like you had a path of science and math? And, um, you know, can you elaborate a little bit on that?
1: I think that's the same in Germany. So um, caretaking, you know, also being you know, uh, a mom at home, uh, being a nurse, teaching. And uh, that's really something which is also in Germany or in Europe, a pretty uh, female kind of uh, profession. And uh, But honestly, I, I, I'm not a good caretaker. And I always said that the least that I could do is being a nurse or, a, you know, or a doctor, because this is really what I'm really bad in. Um, and, and therefore, I, I am also not that not that caretaking person. So I'm really more that analytical person. I want to understand things. I want to analyze things. I want to know how things work. So um, I, I think I was a little bit um, different. Uh, nevertheless, I never felt so different. I just felt that I was, you know, good in maths. and yeah. others wanted to become a doctor and want to be, you know, more teaching. And I loved teaching. Um, Because I also love to explain the things I understood so that other people also understand them. Because um, this is what I learned in my school years, that a good teacher is really key and that many more people can understand how the, you know, technical, mathematical uh, world works if you have somebody who explains it to you in an easy to understand way.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I kind of want to jump to your years at university. So talk to us a little bit about yeah. what you studied at university.
1: Uh, there's a nice story around that, because as I just said, um, I graduated at high school in math and physics and English. So um, and I was the first in my family to go to university. And you have to be, you know, know in, in Germany, universities are. For free or let's say the fee is very, very low. so um, everybody can go, but I was the first one. so nobody at home could help me at home. everybody said, well, uh, choose what you want to uh, just so- choose something where you can earn your own money and well, we're open, we support you. And then there was a consulting hour at the university. So I thought let's let's go there. And there was a guy and I asked him, you know I I love math, so I would love to study mathematics. Uh, only, um, I don't know what to do afterwards as a profession because, you know, I know if I study medicine, I will become a doctor. You know, for mathematics, I don't know anybody who is mathematician as a profession. So, well, what can I do when I've finished studying mathematics? And he told me, well, first you can stay at university and academia or you can go to an insurance company because they need to calculate death tables, you know, such things. And I, at that point in time, it was like, you know, there was something going down it's it's really kind of like I was, you know, having a a blackout, so to say. Oh no, not mathematics. If that's the only, you know, perspective I have, no. So tell me what can I study where I have, all the possibilities afterwards when I graduate, all industries, uh, but I have a lot of maths in. So what can I study with a lot of mathematics, but with all the possibilities afterwards? And he told me, well, then probably you should do economics, because in economics you can do a, you can do a lot of mathematics, but you must not do. It. And I said, okay, that sounds reasonable. And then I started to study economics and. Um already, uh, you know, in my kind of bachelor period at that point in time, uh, we had to do a couple of exams in, in mathematics or in statistics. That was easy for me. I just passed them. And, you know, a lot of my co-students, you know, uh, didn't uh, succeed, had to repeat, were really fighting with all this uh, mathematical stuff. And I just did it, you know, easy <laughs> on, on the fly, so to, so to say. So. Um, therefore, I studied economics at, um, and then I also, at a certain point in time, I was interested also to at least listen, listen, listen in a little bit on the physics um, studies. So I went there, but I, uh, never of topic. So I was did my economics, graduated, did my master, and wanted to start working because I'm not that you know I'm not an academics person, so I'm more that practical person. <laughs>
0: So let's talk a little bit about how you got involved in studying and working in technology, right? SAP is a huge technology company. Um, talk to us a little bit how you started working for SAP and how you even got introduced into that technology world.
1: Um, When I graduated uh, after my master's at that time in Germany, it was a diploma. Um, I started to working for a spin-off of the university, which was founded by a professor. Um, and he did this um, kind of computer science and economics. So um, he was kind of, you know, mixing both areas and he hadn't startup, up a consulting company. Uh, we did consulting and uh, this professor was a buddy of a guy called Hasso Blattner, who did also some um lectures at the university for that professor so and well then that was natural that with this consulting company startup um, also sap at that time very unknown company uh, was one of the consulting topics so there was a big department doing um, sap consultants so my first uh, touch point with sap was um Visiting a training at Waldorf Training Center around a module which was called R two, and I even don't know what's that in English. It's the you know it was in the controlling accounting area. So I did a really a trainings in R two, which was at that point in time you know you didn't have a PC at home or a computer. I was lucky that uh, I at school had at least a computer, one computer per class. We had one. Uh, so that at least I was used to it. So I had already some, you know, some touch points with it. And that was uh, where I started. So I was in this consulting company, but after close to two years, I choose to, to, to uh, look for a new challenge. Um, and I got to know a mid-sized software company doing uh, software for uh, retail and for automotive and, uh, uh, I joined that company and the day I wanted to start, my new boss called me and said, "Um, would you mind um, if your first working day is in Waldorf with SAP, you know them? Because that company I I was hired uh, at that time was required by SAP. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So I never applied for SAP. I was kind of, I think we were the first acquisition of SAP. So we were at that time, the competition in retail software and uh, sap wanted to start uh, you know retail and they kind of acquired that company and so my first day was in waldorf again in the training center in 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 waldorf
0: (laughs) wow this is so (laughs) fascinating i can't believe this um and so you were like one of the very first i mean even employees of sap um that's so crazy and I want to even jump further ahead and talk about how you co-founded the Business Women's Network at SAP. And for all the listeners out there who don't understand the scope of this program, this is a huge program at SAP for women at the company. Um, So talk to us a little bit about what led you to create this program and co-found this program at SAP?
1: So you have also here to go back in time. Uh, when I started at SAP, that's what, that was 1994. I think the company had around about 4,000 employees worldwide. In Waldorf. there was one building, the building one. So it was a small company. Nobody knew because, well, it was business-to-business software at that time. Software anyhow was new. And uh, so at that point in time, also we had flat hierarchies. So between me and the board, there was just my boss. Um, and uh, that also was pretty clear. And uh, and uh, it also it, it felt like, you know, big family. It was, t- you know, it's it was, was more a family feeling. And then over time, well, the company grew. Uh, and it was obvious, um, you know, hierarchies were put into place because we needed it. You cannot manage a company of 10, 10 20,000 people with very flat hierarchies. So the first, you know, people took over and I also had the aspiration to become a manager and um, also express this. And I had the really, I was lucky. My boss, my boss's boss was a woman called Anna. A very also, she was hired by Mr. Hop himself personally. She was very long with SAP, even compared to me, she was much longer with SAP. So, and um, she then in the early 2000s, and she really managed a big organization. Um, she was invited very secretly to a workshop by led by our head of health, still in today, Natalie Lotzman. And Natalie said, folks, we have an issue at SAP with the women or with the women not making a career. And my boss's boss, Anna, she said, no, look at me. I made it. You know, I'm reporting into the board. No problem. And then um, Natalie convinced her and some others on her level to come to this workshop. And then first Anna went there and said, we don't have an issue, but I go there because not because, you know, I do a favor to Natalie, but After two days, she came back and said, we have to do something. We have an issue at SAP. We don't, you know, we can see the pyramid. We have, you know, on the basement, we have a lot of working. uh, We have a lot of women working. And on the top level, we have too few. So that's a clear business case. And so it was like like a snowball system. Um, These workshops continued. They were very secret because nobody really wanted to touch the topic. Because at that time, it was not a topic. It was not on the political agenda. It was not on companies' agenda. So diversity was not not invented yet, so to say. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so over time, this group of women um, who were invited to these um, workshops grew. And we then also, you know, connected uh, beyond the workshops. We saw we all had similar issues with our careers, with not progressing in a way we could. And we said, we want to do something. And then after, you know, a couple of even years, I would say, where we did it more on a very informal basis, we said, folks, now we have to go out. We need to find a board sponsor. We need to have a board member dedicated as a sponsor. And we want to make it now kind of an official network. And this is what we also did at that time. We had a board member at that time. It was Ernie Gunst. Um, who was our COO? Um, he's not, not not with the company anymore. And yeah, and with a couple of others, we said, and we do a kickoff with him. Really, you know, professional. And and this is how it started. So that was the initial thing. And uh, also immediately, we got a lot of supports. Uh, and we had an, a nice article in our SAP in our internal portal, uh, also reporting about it. So the company also was. Um, very open to it, so to say.
0: Wow, this is so fascinating because I myself am a part of the Business Women's Network. Um, There's many chapters, right, across the world. Um, And I'm a part of the Denver, Colorado chapter. So I love being a part of this network. Um, And so I want to talk a little bit about what your goals were, in establishing this program. Um, you know, what did you really hope to accomplish
1: when you built this program from the bottom up? Yeah. Um, for us from the beginning, and we were lucky because we had a good consultant. Uh, first of all, um, we set it up um, inclusive. We said we are we are welcoming men because we need our male. Supporters or allies. That was the first thing. Second thing was we were thinking also about is this a global movement or is this a, let's say, more local movement with global representatives, so to say? And we said, yes, we have, we need to have it local because we had locally different challenges. And therefore, we started also, and like you know, say we have now so many different chapters in so many different locations, and each location has probably. Kind of all own goals, and uh, for instance, if you look to India, you have probably different goals than you have in Germany or than you have in Denver, Colorado. So, therefore, we said that. And then the interesting thing is, we always wanted to be for professional because we didn't want to be kind of the you know the fem- seen as a feminist or as a you know recipe exchange crew. But we want to you know business. That's why we called it Business Women's Network. So we all do what is what we do is related to business. We want to make SAP more successful. Mm-hmm. Um, we wanted to foster women. And we said, um, and therefore, we needed to have a roadmap because, you know, uh, it all started with a business case, which was, you know, done by Natalie. And we, and when we started officially, we said, now we need to have a roadmap because this is what you have normally in business. So we developed a roadmap, and uh, I think it was. 2006 uh the first roadmap and we said we need this because also you know we go to our board sponsor and we say well this is our roadmap which we want to what we want to achieve foster women train them but the big goal is and we need to have a really challenging goal and at that time we said what is a really challenging goal for sap and we said on a four-year roadmap the real challenging goal would be which we will never achieve never ever but Mm -hmm. let's write it down having one woman on on the board. So we wrote that down. We want to have, by 2010, a woman on board of SAP. And we all were convinced that this is such a stretched goal. We will never achieve that. And uh, it was incredible. I think the real um, kind of the trick with it was that we really talked about it we put it on our slides, we put it you know, on our roadmap, we communicated it, and I'm still convinced that at least it supported that we, before 2010, had the first women on the board. So um, that was, I think, the, the big goal. But at the end, we just wanted to make SAP more successful because we thought from the beginning, more diverse teams are more innovative and helping companies to be more successful.
0: mm mm-hmm. That's phenomenal. I love to hear the background and the history of this super impressive network that I enjoy being a part of. So thank you for creating the space for women at SAP. Um, It's amazing.
1: Thank you for still supporting it. I think we all need the, the many, many women at SAP, but also outside of SAP who stand up and just express their wish to become a leader or to just talk about the topic and help also the younger women, you know, to be self-confident, yeah, to go their way, be it as a nurse or as a mathematician, help translating what's in the business, why it's so important or so interesting and awesome to work for a tech company like SAP. So I think that's our task and we need to also help the next generations to, you know, be even more successful.
0: Absolutely. And I want to talk about the next generation actually. And I want to hear why you think it's so important for young girls to have access to STEM in early education. Um, And I've done a lot of research on this and just thinking back to my early education and yes, I studied science and math, but I didn't have a passion for it. And I think it's mainly because there were no ro- role models in this space. There were no female mathematicians and scientists in your school books, right? Um there was yep. no one you could look up to and learn from that was a female in this space. Um so talk to us a little bit about why it's so important for young girls to have access to
1: these types of subjects. Um I I think first of all um It's, we have to help them to be very self confident from the beginning in already in probably in the kindergarten or at least in grammar school, because they can do it. It's no rocket science. I think also that self confidence. And I also was not that self confident when I was young, um, but we need to help them to understand that they can do it. And therefore, I totally agree. It's so important to have role models. And to have also, I call them the low-touch role models. So, you know, not the, like, you know, me, the pretty, pretty old, successful woman, more the very young woman who's just started to help them, who's more the same age, the same generation. The other role models are important as well, but it must be kind of a lower, on a lower level, low touch, so to say. And I think it's very important to understand that they understand how creative also, how creativity is needed. And uh, importantly also that you need at least a decent, you must not study physics, but you have a decent understanding around, you know, the rules of physics or chemistry to understand the world. And in the end to help to run the world better, because if we want to make this world better, a lot of things come through innovations. And, Thirdly, also, I think that it's so important and it did not change since I started at university to give young girls a good impression what professionals do. So what do I do at SAP if I'm a project manager, a UI designer, a, um, you know, a, a documentation writer, a translator, a comms person? And we have lawyers, we have um all have to have a decent understanding of what we're doing. So um, they need to know at least a little bit about what SAP is doing, about the products. But, you know, the careers and the, the fields are so different. And therefore, it's important that they have a decent education. As I said, it must not be a professional advance, but they have to have a good foundation in it. And we have to help them to understand it and especially much the most important thing is to help them be self-confident around it and to help them to understand they can do it it's no rocket science mm-hmm.
0: and you brings up such a great point about the different careers that are out there around science and math um and i'm thinking about you know when i was growing up my parents just always said well you know you should go into business study business because that's all they <laughs> knew that's all anyone yeah. knew about the careers that were out there. If you studied business, you would have a career no matter what. Um, and yes. I think, you know, my parents had such little knowledge around science and math and and even technology. Um, they had no clue what the careers were around those subjects. And um, so I didn't even explore those subjects. And I, I never even thought about Um, studying seriously those subjects. So you bring up such a great point that there's so many different careers
1: that we don't even know about and that we don't even know exist, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And even today, it's said that a lot of professions in the future are not yet invented because through technology, through new innovations, a lot of new professions will arise that we don't even know today. So we have to really translate and make young girls understand that they have to have a good, a decent education and that then the world is open. And uh, probably also the, the, the big uh, wrong thinking that I also had in my mind is when I graduated at school, I thought if I now decide for a topic at university, this will be a decision for life. So there will be no possibility to do something else. So that was my thinking. I didn't even know that in the end, well, what you study at university is kind of giving you a, well, the autobahn probably to the future. But you can also, you know, take the next exit and do something else. It's more like uh, you have still all the options. It's only important that you have that good and broad and decent education, but it's no decision for life. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I also think it's very important and therefore also teachers are so important because they are the first role models. As you say, often parents just don't know. They have also their own kind of area in where they work in, where they're coming from. So how to understand all the different areas and fields and professions that are out that you cannot make this happen. So it's important that teachers support are role models that they show the the role models of the world and often these um ladies of the past are not known so who knows um, about uh, Margaret Hamilton um, Margaret Hamilton was a, an, a team lead in the in the Apollo program without her Apollo 11 never would have landed on the moon because she developed the software for the eagle for that you know landing uh, entity and she made it software um, error prone so that when they landed, the astronauts wa- were on the Eagle down to moon. They got an error message and they thought now they have to, to you know, to stop the mission. And then she they checked check back with her and she programmed the software in a way that she found out that that error was n- no big deal for the landing itself. So this she said, ignore it. And, you know, she nobody knows her but she was you know a key success factor for the successful moon landing and uh, so i think a lot of those are also not you know we, we must um, use these examples and show and she had a small child so she was not you know uh, and, you know all these good examples from the past are uh, not known Hedy lamar a an actor from the i think 30s or 40s beautiful woman who was at the same time an inventor of things and you know did basics so, you know we have so many interesting role models from the past which nobody know, and that's very unfortunate so we have also to help there to make them more um even more famous
0: absolutely i agree and I want to um, switch gears again. I've, I'm jumping all over the place, but I have so many questions <laughs> for you. You're so <laughs> fascinating, and um, you have such great knowledge around these different topics. And I want to talk about women in tech at SAP, and this is what most of your work today revolves around, right? So right. talk to us a little bit about this program, how it got started, and why it got started.
1: Yeah, So um, women in tech and I have to confess, I was, you know, more than 25 years in development related roles. So I'm, you know, my comfort zone is in software development and now I'm leading a team and we care about women in tech. What's it all about? Um, We found out a couple of years back and we had a great uh, event. So we have at the beginning of the year, uh, each year we have a developer kickoff meeting. So the whole world of uh, developers Kind of collects virtually or in in person at that time in person most of them in a big arena it was at that at that time here close to Waldorf, the big uh, ice hockey stadium thousands of people on site one day developer kickoff off and guess what no woman on stage there was just one demo uh, where a woman played in the demo a marketing lady which did not really understand what software is so. A couple of further things happened that day. So that developer, off from a woman's perspective, what was really a disaster. And uh, also we expressed this then, and uh, also the man expressed this then to the respective board member for development, and he said, oh, pfft, that must not happen again. So that was the start. And then there arose the idea, um, not only in development, we have too few women on stages uh but that that's across the company, and I think it's not even limited to s a p so only in the last years also this kind of um thinking arose that you know all male panels are just not a state of the art anymore and what we t- what we do is we help to bring our women in all their different perspectives on the stages of the world and I mean stages like also here this podcast for me is a stage, so mm-hmm. And uh, talking about role models again, this is that we show we have women, expert women, and we help them to be successful in stages. So we train them. We say, okay, yeah. We have different trainings, uh, you know. It's so the power of voice. It's around storytelling and all these things. You need to know. Um, and then we help them to be on the internal stages, but also we try to put them on external stages. And I said it's the very, it's the the broader sense of stage. Uh, we want make want to make them uh, visible in the, with their expertise, so that also again that the outside, the, the, even the young women understand how many different professions we have at SAP. And how different are the, you know, ways of the women into the company and in their professional career. So that's that's all about that. So this is a good complement to what the Business Women's Network is doing or our diversity and inclusion that are more focusing on on the leadership and all the you know career topics, and we are focusing to make our female experts visible. And help also that we reach a goal like 30% women on stages at SAP. It must not be less anymore. Mm-hmm.
0: So I want to just close it out. We have covered so many different topics. You have shared so much information. Um, I just loved this so much. So, and I'm sure our listeners have too. So where can our listeners um, follow you on social media or find you on the internet, any websites, where can we see what you're working on and what
1: you're doing? Yeah. So mainly, I'm on on LinkedIn because that's you know the topic uh, or, or the the professional. Uh, I'm still you not know, talking in the professional context, so you can find me there. I have a Twitter account which I also randomly more or less used not in a way that i should (laughs) so the main thing is uh, follow me on linkedin where you can see what i'm doing and there's uh, unfortunately for the german informatics society that's more for people who speak and understand german um, because obviously that's a german page where you could see a lot what i'm doing Um, so for everybody who understands speaks uh, german or even uses then uh, I don't know Google Translate. You can also do there. You find a lot of the activities that I'm driving in my uh, yes with my role as the the president there. So that's the the majority. And I know I, I I'm not a digital native. Therefore, um, my digital presence or my social media presence is very limited. And I know I should do much more. But <laughs> that's. One thing I wear, I can really approve. I have to confess, yeah. <laughs> and I'm using so email. You can also email me, and uh, also no problem. That's still my favorite um, channel for communication. And I know I'm old-fashioned there.
0: <laughs> as long as you have LinkedIn, it's all good. Yes, yes,
1: there, yes, there. I'm up to date, and I'm posting um, things I'm doing. Awesome. Well, Christine,
0: thank you so much for everything you shared today. I think our listeners definitely gained tons of information, tons of knowledge from you. So thank you so
1: much for sharing. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. And also it's always good because, you know, you also ask the right questions. So also things come to my mind. Uh, that i would not 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 have thought about in the beginning so thanks for that great interview and uh, i hope that uh, you have many more uh fascinating interviews thanks so much for having me